Welcome to this God-inspired message from Shofar Christian Church. Enjoy today's message. May you experience the presence of our Father and may you grow deeper in your relationship with Him. Thank you that we can be here tonight, Father. Thank you, Lord, that you know, this missions team, Father, just coming back, Lord, and you know, not, not coming from mission, Father, but just changing the location of the mission. They're still on mission, Lord. It's only Secunda, Father, and Sassel, the mines, the schools, Lord, and the people here. That's the military field, Lord. We've sent us out to, Father. Yes, Lord, I just pray for that revelation, Lord, to just spill over, Father, into each and every heart here, Lord, knowing, Father, that when we leave this all tonight, we can decide whether we are going to go on a mission or whether we're going to be a bit passive, Lord, or focus on our own things, Lord, or build our own kingdom, Father. That choice remains every single day, Father, when we wake up, Father, whether we will heed the call, Father, to go and preach the gospel to all of creation or whether we won't. And maybe, may we be that people, Father, that always says yes. Yes, Lord, here we are. Send us, Father. Thank you, Holy Spirit that you lead us constantly, and thank you, Jesus, that you set the perfect example for us, making a new and living way, Lord, that we can enter. I know the Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. So guys, the last while we've been busy with a, a small sermon series, while it's turning out to be a not-so-small one, a bit of a bigger one, a mile in the shoes of, we walk a mile in the shoes of a certain person in Scripture, see what we can learn from their lives, and then apply it into our own lives. You know, and I felt like, We've done a couple of weeks, we've looked at a lot of people, we've been busy almost three months now. And I want to ask us this question because I know something in my life, you know, that's quite sad and I get so frustrated with my self-worth, is that you listen to a sermon from someone, you take down the notes, you see the truth, you see the things that's lacking in your own life, the things that you need to start applying and you am, okay, we're going to go do this. Or you read God's word and you see that truth that needs to be applied. We go to a conference and you're there and you learn a couple of things and you know, okay, we need to start doing this. Next year comes and you read over that passage again, which is a similar sermon. Or you go to that conference again and lo and behold, the truth has not been applied yet. Isn't that frustrating? You know, does, does, does it only happen to me to have some more obedient people in the house? But it's so frustrating many times and it's very necessary for us, specifically when it comes to God's word and God's will. We know the story, the dangers of just hearing certain things and not starting to apply them. James speaks about it. Don't only be hearers of the word, but be doers. Because the one who hears but does not do deceives himself. We become more and more deceived and we think the more we know, the better we are. But unless we start applying those truths... We don't stay the same, and in fact, we begin to think we are people that we're actually not. And then we rock up there one day, judgment day, we're excited. But then the story plays off in Matthew 7 of the people coming to Jesus. He says, Lord, Lord. And then he says, go away from me, I never knew you. Because you did not do the will of the Father. So when it comes to God's word and it comes to God's will, let's be doers of the word let's go out let's apply and i want to challenge us you know as we've learned a couple of things these last weeks go and revisit go and apply and as we go through the sermon tonight as well we're going to look at the life of barnabas we're going to do a mile in the shoes of barnabas and the title is the son of encouragement 
And as we go through this and we look at the life of Barnabas being this guy that always goes out and encourages, we're going to look at a couple of other people as well in this passage. And I want us to ask ourselves the, shoe, the, the question, in whose shoes are we when we go through this passage? Where are we? Because there's a lot of different people in the sermon that we're going to look at tonight briefly, and some of them in different stages of their life. The question is, where are you? And one of two things are going to need to happen. You're going to either have to reach out to someone, or you're going to have to cry out to someone. The difference is the crying out happens when I'm in trouble. I realize that I need help. I'm not where I should be. I became a little bit passive in my walk with Jesus. The things of this world has led me astray a little bit. And then I need to cry out. Hey, I need help. And may the first person we cry out to always be God. Amen. And if we realize now that we're still on course and we're still following God with everything in us and that passion is still there, then we need to reach out to those who are not there. To those who we know. It's beginning to wander off the path so that we can reach out. And it's a lesson we learn from Barnabas. So before we dive in, who knows who Barnabas is? Not Barabbas. I spoke to Germo in the week. I didn't choose Barabbas. And he said, die sondar. Need die sondar, need the onion. The other one, Barnabas. Anybody know who Barnabas is, where we read of him? What the lessons is that we can learn from him? It doesn't appear, you know, that much. There's no, you know, the, the gospel of Barnabas. There's no epistle that Barnabas wrote to the church in Corinth or to the church in Ephesus, no. But if it wasn't for Barnabas, then there would be a lot of letters that we do not have today. And we're going to see in a moment why that is. The son of encouragement. And from the beginning, we see something in Barnabas' life that he has a willingness to go and fetch people and raise them up so that they can go further than he, than he goes. The first person he pulled in, and we're going to look at that in just a moment, was Paul. He goes and gets Paul in the first half of the book of Acts, whenever they speak about Barnabas and Solus, like it says in Afrikaans, or Barnabas and Saul, later named Paul. It's always Barnabas being first. You know, he's the guy that leads. He's the, he's the guy that takes charge. And then all of a sudden in Acts 13, when the commission comes and God says, set aside Barnabas and Saul to the work to which I've called them, then all of a sudden scripture reads a bit differently. Paul and Barnabas. Now Paul is in charge. Now he takes the lead. And that's fine with Barnabas. He wants people to excel and to go further. And there's a lot of things we can learn from his life. You know, when there's a new church group and people just, you know, Come to the Lord in numbers. Who do they send? They send Barnabas, the son of encouragement. That's what his name means when he's translated. Son of encouragement. To go and encourage the people. And a lot the same. And the first church, we, a lot in the same boat that they were, specifically the morning service. And I said this this morning to them as well. And well done for us sitting here, you know, the PM service. We planted the church, the Shofar Afrikaans congregation. It's really going well with the morning service. And like the first church, the commission was just given by Jesus, go and make disciples of all the nations. People need to hear about the good news of God. And they went out and they so focused about people who haven't heard the gospel that some of them forgot about the people who have already heard the gospel. And while they are focused on the people that need to hear, Barnabas focused on the people that has already heard. Let's just make sure that these people stay here, that they are cared for, that they are encouraged. That they remain with us. And a lot in the same way when I joined the church in Shofar Zakuna in 2015, we were about 40 odd people. 
in a strange little building there opposite to the, to the license offices. almost wanted to ask, was that in English, but I got it. And then we moved here and it grew quite quickly. And in 2018, you know, we began to stabilize a little bit. And in 2019, we planted the Afrikaans morning service and they just grew. And even in the context that we're living in, that we are growing as a church is only the grace of God. Because that's not the norm. But God is faithful and he's busy building his church. Amen. And we are growing in much the same in the early church. And God is calling us and saying, hey, just pause for a moment and look at the people around you. Is everybody still here? Let's be those sons of encouragement to go to fetch them. That's what we learn from Barnabas. So let's look at the first instance when we see Barnabas just pulling someone close. And I can relate with this story a lot. Um, but Saul was a bit, or Paul was a bit in a different side than I was. But nonetheless, let's read together. Acts 9, verse 26 to 31. And it says, And when he had come to Jerusalem, he attempted to join the disciples, speaking about Paul. And they were all afraid of him, for they did not believe that he was a disciple. And then when I just came to salvation and came to meet the Lord and I gave my life to Jesus, the hammer over there, he told his brother over there, Renier, did you hear? Vian came to salvation. And Renier said, no, I'll believe it when I see it. Um, so, you know, I, I'm here in, in, in Paul's shoes. And another... Um, a small group member of ours, he told me in the week, you know, it's so interesting now when we were in school, he didn't want to, you know, go out with me and my friends because he was afraid, you know, maybe, you know, never know what will happen, maybe a fight breaks out, the stuff happens, and now we're in small group together and we're enjoying conversation. He also spoke about Werner. He said he didn't want to hang out with Werner because Werner was too smart, and that's a bit intimidating. <laughs> but luckily now we know. It was just book smart. He's not really that smart. Eh? <laughs> I'm just making a joke. But God comes and he brings us together. And luckily I also had a Barnabas that went and fetched me. And all of the things that I was busy with, he came and sat there and he pulled me in and he led me to God. Irrelevant of the circumstances, but a guy willing to go and to go and fetch people. And then we read on and it says, but Barnabas took him. And brought him to the apostles and declared to them how on the road he had seen the Lord who spoke to him. And how at Damascus he had preached boldly in the name of Jesus. So he went in and out among them and Jerusalem preaching boldly in the name of the Lord. And he spoke and disputed against the Hellenists. But they were seeking to kill him. And when the brothers learned this they brought him down to Caesarea and sent him off to Tarsus. And look at the result of what Barnabas does. So the church throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria had peace and was being built up and walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, it multiplied. Is that a beautiful verse? Walking in the fear of the Lord and the comfort of the Holy Spirit, it multiplied. And here we see great growth, great peace, great strengthening coming to the church. After Barnabas goes and he fetches Paul and Paul starts to do what God has called him to do. And it's so funny, and many times we think the same way. And again, I have to give it to the disciples because Acts chapter 9, the first verse begins with, and Paul still breathing threats and murder against the church. And that's how it starts. This intimidating guy that wants to lock everybody up, get them killed. That was his mission. 
And then he met the Lord in that same chapter. And many times, you know, when we look at people like that and what the Christians thought at first is, no, but what if Paul didn't come to salvation? What if he does not know the Lord? What if he's just pretending and he locks us up or he kills us? Barnabas is thinking, what if he did come to salvation and we don't go and fetch him and he doesn't do what God has called him to do? What then? I'll take the risk. I'll go and I'll see. Because if he did come to meet the Lord, then God has a calling on his life. And I want to make sure that he has met the right people to walk that road with him. And great things happen and Barnabas just pulls him in. He knows that God has a plan for him. And then like I said, we're going to look at a couple of different shoes in the story. There was another guy that was brought in, not by Barnabas. We don't know how he came to be with the apostles, but we read about him a couple of weeks past called Demas. And Demas is a tragic story in scripture when we read about Demas. It goes the following way. We read about him the first time in the book of Philemon. That is in the New Testament for those of you who are wondering. It's not a book that many people preach out of. It's literally one chapter long. And it's about a guy writing to someone else that wants to kill a guy that worked for him. It's quite an interesting book. But nonetheless, we read in the book of Philemon, it's Paul writing, and he says, And so do Mark, Aristarchus, Diamas, and Luke, my fellow workers. And here we read about Diamas. And Paul is saying, Diamas is not simply a believer. He's not a new convert. He's not just someone that's sitting with us or singing songs with us. No, Diamas is a fellow worker. This guy's busy preaching the word of God. He's busy raising up disciples. He's doing what God has called him to do. Diamas is a fellow worker. Diamas is a fellow worker. He's laboring alongside the Lord. He understands what God has called him to do and he's passionate about serving God. But then we read the book of Colossians and these three books were written about five years apart from one another, 2 Timothy being the last one, Colossians being written about a year or two after the book of Philemon. And here we see Paul mentioning Demas again, but Paul's not a guy that minces words. You know, he says something as it is and he says how he feels about someone. He doesn't hide it at all. And here he says, Luke, the beloved physician, greets you as does Demas. And to put it in our context today, it would be like me saying, you know, Doc Zach and Anne sitting there, beloved people that's, you know, laboring in the Lord alongside us, whom we love so much. They send greetings and so on. That's what, that's what Paul is busy doing there. Diamas is here, but he's just Diamas. He's no longer a co-worker. I told the guys this morning as well when we were at MTP, the ministry training program with Wimahoog and Tanya Rika, I wanted to test the people's response there to see how, how they would react whenever we go there. So I have quite dark as does Tanya Rika. So they thought we're family. They thought I'm, I'm their kid. And as we go there, I tell them, this is Marika in Umaug. Then I always, you know, introduce Umaug with such a sad face, and you can see the people looking a bit strange at us. But we, we told most of them that we're only joking. The one lady we forgot to tell her, Tanya Renee, 
from Shofar Utrecht, she still thinks we're family um, and that I don't like her mouth that much. Maybe she's still praying for us, but nonetheless. <laughs> you know, that, what, that is what Paul's doing there. Look, the beloved physician, he greets you and Diamas. Diamas is no longer a co-worker laboring alongside the Lord. He's lost a little bit of his passion. He's lost a little bit of his zeal. He's not following God with everything in him anymore. He's just, just here. He sends greetings. Diamas. Then a couple of years later we read in 2 Timothy 4 verse 10. Diamas, in love with this present world, has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. And I want to ask ourselves a question. We see the reason there why Diamas left them. Because he fell in love with this present world. We don't know why he got so passive. Focusing on God, really diving into his word, pressing in in prayer, having a zeal for ministry. And all of a sudden he gets a little bit passive and he's just there. I don't know if you can relate to that. Not that fired up as I was in the beginning, I'm just here now. And then all of a sudden he fades away because he fell in love with the things of this world. And scripture tells us and warns us about three things. And the first is persecution. Persecution that will come if you really stand up for God, if you really stand up for the truth, and you proclaim it wherever you go, to whomever you see, you will be persecuted. For all who want to live godly lives will be persecuted. It's Jesus saying that. So the persecution will come, the greater stance we take for God and His kingdom, the greater persecution we will face. Many times even in our own families, when we make that decision to follow God, I'm going to be baptized. And all of a sudden it starts to get real and the friction arises. And then we also read about something else. The passions of this world. The seductiveness of this world wanting to lead us astray. But whoever loves the things of this world makes himself an enemy of God. So the scripture says. And things want to lead us astray. And we see that that is what happened. To Diamas, the things of this world getting his attention. And he loses focus. And he goes away. But then there's a, another thing. There's false teaching. The false prophet that scripture speaks about. That will come and say, no, hey, there's an easier way to God. And the relativism that we're living in these days. No, no, it's not only Jesus. There's many ways to God. You can choose whichever one you want to. It's not the truth. Truth by definition is exclusive. There's one way to the Father, Jesus says. No one comes to the Father except through me. Written Acts, there's no name given under heaven to men by which they must be saved. Save the name, Jesus Christ. One way. Or people come to you and say, hey, hey, Gerard, don't worry, it's easy. You don't need to deny yourself, take up your cross and follow Jesus. I know the Bible says that, but why don't you just invite him into your heart? Why don't you just pray a simple prayer? Done. No. It's not what scripture teaches. Pick up your cross. Lay down your life. Follow him. If you want him to save your life, you need to give him your life. And those things want to lead us astray. And we see what happened to Demas. And the question I want to ask us tonight is, as we are sitting here, if you had to relate with Demas right now, where are you? Are you in the book of Philemon? Are you a co-worker, zealous in passion for the work of God? On fire. 
Or are you maybe in Colossians? You're just here. And yes, I, I do read my Bible every now and again. And yes, I do pray sometimes. And I would like to go on missions. Maybe you're there. Or maybe you're nearing actually the point of 2 Timothy 4. You've left everyone behind. You're not longer falling. I can't even remember the last time I spoke to God. I can't even remember the last text I read. I can't remember the last time that I, by myself, put on a worship music, lifted up my hands to God and praised His name. can't even remember. Maybe you were never here. And that's okay. Dear Masfaz is a warning. We never read about him again. We don't know if someone went, fetched him, encouraged him, whether he turned back to God. We don't know. We just know that Diamas has left them. But then there's another man that followed the same steps as Diamas. There was something different in his life, or let me rather say someone different. His name is Mark. And read the following things about Mark. You can go and write this down and go and read through this on your own. We read about him in Acts 12, verse 12. Acts 13, verse 2 to 5. And again, Acts 13, verse 13 to 4. His name is Mark. His other name is called John. John who they called Mark. People in the Bible, they never liked calling someone their their original name. Barnabas, son of encouragement. Saul becomes Paul. John they called Mark. They did whatever they wanted to. But nonetheless, we read about Mark and we see him with the apostles in Acts 12, 12. His mother was a rich and influential woman and they had church at her house and there he came to meet them. There's also stories about him with the apostles seeing the things that Jesus didn't spoke as he was busy ministering on the earth before he ascended into heaven. And then we see in Acts 13 that he joins the first mission team. The first missionary journey of Paul and Barnabas. After God said to them, you know, set aside for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I've called them. And they take along with them Mark. And they go on their missionary journey and somewhere along the line, Mark deserts them as well. He leaves the team, late in that same chapter. We don't know what, scripture doesn't say because he fell in love with this present world, because of the persecution, because of false teaching, we don't know. We simply know that Mark deserts them as well. And he thinks, no, this is not for me anymore. I'm going to go home. One of our pastors in Shofar, Durbanville Ross, he says Mark was the first millennial. Don't want to study this anymore. I'm going home to mommy. This doesn't quite fit into my purpose. I don't like this anymore. It's a joke and I know that hit quite hard because we are those people many times. But no, this is not working out for me anymore. I'm going back. And we don't know what was it. Maybe the persecution because they experienced a lot of it in that missionary journey. Oh, they went through stuff. Maybe it was the things of this world that also got to him. Now my mom's quite rich, influential, and I can just sit there and get whatever I want, do people to do stuff for me. If I want some entertainment, I can get it. But this laying my life down stuff, this is not, this is not nice anymore. This isn't nice anymore. But then we see that someone goes and fetches Mark again. He doesn't return on his own. He doesn't come back. And we read again about Mark in Acts 15, verse 37 to 39, and it says the following. Now Barnabas wanted to take with them 
John called Mark. This is the second missionary journey. While Paul and Barnabas says to each other, hey, let's go to all of the churches that we established and see how it's going with them. And then he says, Barnabas wanted to take with them. John called Mark. But Paul thought best not to take with them one who had withdrawn from them in Pamphylia and had not gone with them to do the work. The other translation says that deserted them. Just like Demas deserted Paul. He says, no, this guy deserted us. I don't want to take him with. I'm not going to give him a second chance. He disappointed us once. I'm not going to go get him. I'm not going to take him along again. And then it says, and there arose a sharp disagreement so that they separated from each other, Barnabas and Paul. And Barnabas took, with, took Mark with him and sailed away to Cyprus. And Paul took Silas and he went on his missionary journey. But here we see the heart of Barnabas. And I can relate to this because many times I'm like, Paul, no, you had your chance. We did this. You said you were going to. And you didn't. And I have to figure it out on your own, but I'm not going to walk that road with you again. But Barnabas is not like that. And he goes and says, I will go get him. I will go to his mother's house. I will go and call him again. I will say, hey, we can do this. I'm going to give you a second chance. And as we sit here and we look at the story, many times we think God is like Paul when it comes to our lives. Because there was this time when we said to God, Lord, this time I'm going to endure. This time I won't fail. Lord, this time I won't do it again. This time I'll endure. And lo and behold, again we failed. Again we deserted him. And Barnabas carries the heart, of, the heart of God and says, I will give you a second chance. I will come again. I will call you again. And you can go with me again. You can go with me again. We can do this. We see the story of Peter in the Gospels. Peter going to Jesus just after Jesus explains to them, listen here, they're going to take me captive now. They're going to crucify me. And all of you are going to run away. And Peter says, no, Lord, I won't. Even if all of them abandon you, Lord, I will not. I will lay down my life for you. And Jesus says to him, surely you will lay down your life. I tell you, before the rooster crows three times, you will have denied me three times. You won't even make it through the night before you've left me once again. And we see the story playing off and Jesus gets crucified and on that day that he's resurrected. And he appears and the angels appear to the woman at the tomb and what, does they, what do they say? Go and get my disciples and Peter. Go and call him again. Tell him it's okay. We're going to go through this again. We'll do it again. But I will restore you and even if you deny, we'll do it again. That is the heart of God for us. And then we read about Mark. 15 years later, Paul writing. 15 years later from that day that Paul said, no, I'm not going to take this young man with us because he has deserted us. He's disappointed me. I won't take him with. 15 years later, look at what Paul writes about Mark. Philemon, chapter 1, verse 24. And so does Mark, my fellow worker. Mark's no longer a deserter. He's no longer the guy that disappointed. He's no longer the guy that didn't go and do the work of God with him. Mark is now again a co-worker. Mark is a co-worker. And again, in Paul's last letter that he writes, 2 Timothy 4, a couple of weeks before he gets executed 
for the sake of the gospel, what does he say? Get Mark and bring him with you. For he's very useful to me for ministry. Get Mark. He's useful for me to ministry. I know he disappointed at that one time, but because Barnabas went and fetched him and gave him a second chance, he's busy doing the work that God has called him to do. When Peter writes about him in 1 Peter 5, it's not on the board, but you can go and read that. He says, Mark, my beloved son, sends greeting. Like Timothy was a beloved son to Paul. So Mark became a beloved son to Peter to carry on with the work of the ministry. And I don't know if you have realized by this time what significant impact that day made when Barnabas went and fetched Mark. What do we still have and read from Mark till this day? The gospel of Mark, written after Barnabas went and fetched him, called him back to do what God has called him to do. After that, he wrote the gospel of Mark. The same guy that went and fetched Paul. We have Romans, Ephesians, Philippians, Timothy, Thessalonians, all of those books. One man that we don't read so much about, but made such a significant impact because he was willing to go and get the people that we gave up upon. What an art. That takes us to the first and only point for tonight. A mile in the shoes of Barnabas. Point number one. Every Paul and Mark needs a Barnabas and everyone can be a Barnabas. Every Paul, every Mark, every rugged guy out there that we're a bit afraid of to bring into this place, they need a Barnabas. You can be Barnabas. You can go and get them. Say, hey, you welcome here. And every Mark that has deserted, that has left the faith, that went back home, that's given up, they need a Barnabas to go and bring them back. And again, the question is, where are we sitting here tonight? Are we those that need to cry out saying, hey, the passion in me is but dying down. I need someone to come alongside me so that I can do again what God has called me to do. Or are we the people that, seeing those faces as the sermon went on flash before our eyes of the people that has been with us, sat with us in small group, called on the name of God, worshiped together. We don't know where they are. And God is calling us to reach out to them, to bring them back. Because this is the heart of God. And at one time, we were Mark. We were Diamas. But the good shepherd came for us. And I want to leave us with the next couple of verses. Luke 15, from verse 4 to 7. And it's Jesus speaking. And he says, If a man has a hundred sheep, and one of them gets lost, what will he do? Won't he leave the ninety-nine others in the wilderness, and go to search for the one that is lost, until... He finds it. And when he has found it, doesn't beat the sheep, doesn't scream at it to go back home, no. He joyfully carries it home on his shoulders. When he arrives, he calls together his friends and neighbors saying, Rejoice with me because I have found my lost sheep. And in the same way, there is more joy in heaven over one lost sinner who repents and returns to God than over 99 righteous people who have no need of repentance. That is Jesus speaking. The good shepherd that laid down his life for the sheep. The one that came to fetch you and me. You know, many times we think we're righteous and we're so great and we turn to God now. Scripture says you were dead in your sins and in your trespasses. 
but God out of mercy made you alive together with Christ. You are here because he came and he picked you up and he placed you on his shoulders and he carried you back home. And when we come again to one another, God doesn't say, hey, look at this one that deserted. Remember to keep watch on this one. He needs to prove himself again or she needs to prove herself again. Now rejoice with me because my lost sheep is home. That is the heart of God. May we carry that heart. And I want to say to you tonight that if you have lost your passion or your flame to God, he can reignite that. Won't you just simply turn to him? If you're thinking about a friend or a family member that has lost their way, it's not too late while they are still breathing. Reach out. Because God can again come and restore and ignite that passion. And he will finish the work that he has begun. If we have the willingness to go out and be that Barnabas that is near in the world. Let's stand and pray together tonight. Yes, Lord, Father, thank you that we can come before you tonight, Lord, knowing, Lord, that you are good, Father, that you are faithful, Father, that you are the good shepherd, Lord, that laid down your life for the sheep, that we can know you, Lord, not by something that we've done, Father, or by our own merits, Lord, but simply because of your goodness, your mercy. We can know you, Lord. We can call upon your name, Father. Thank you, Lord, that Scripture says that your mercy is new every morning, Lord. And like any says, Lord, many times, Father, we feel that we failed you one too many times. We've done that thing one too many times. We've done it again. We said we wouldn't. We said this time we would change, Lord, and we didn't. And then that day, Lord, when we get up, Father, and we don't feel, Father, that we are worthy, Father, to come close to you again, Lord, to draw near. That's the day when we say, Father, I would have given up on myself by now. I wouldn't have let me come back. I wouldn't have given me a second chance. But you say, Lord, as long as we are breathing, it's never too late. Like we sang, Lord, run to the Father, fall into grace. Grace given. And I want everyone that is here tonight, and you know where you are. And here's the great thing God does as well. It's not as if you need to draw near to God and tell him where you are and he realizes, oh, I didn't know, shucks. Why didn't you tell me sooner? God knows where you are. He knows the thoughts that you think, the things that you are busy with. That conviction in your heart right now about that thing you know you should not do. God knows. You don't need to pretend in front of God. This is not Facebook. This is not about likes. It's not about influence. This is simply about being real before a loving Father that wants to come renew and restore. And He wants to give you life and life in abundance. But for that to happen, you're going to have to be open and honest with Him. And there you are standing. If you could relate tonight with the shoes about the people that we've spoken of. Maybe you're still on fire. And if you are, say thank you, Lord, that you are the one that kept me in your grace till now. Maybe you just, yeah. Maybe you just DM us. And you can't remember when, when last you picked up the word of God and read. When last you sincerely prayed to God. When last you worshipped on your own. Maybe you've totally fallen away. And wherever you are tonight, just there where you're standing, won't you lift up your voice to God? Won't you just start to pray? And I know it's difficult sometimes. Just, just start. Just do it. Just raise up your voice to God.
you need to make that commitment. You need to surrender. You need to give over. You need to say, Lord, I surrender everything to you. You are king. Yes, there we are standing. Why don't you just pray to God? Yes, Lord, for those prayers are going up in this place, Lord, and hearts are being laid down in front of you, Lord. I just say thank you for thank you for your grace, Lord, that you know where every one of us at in this life, Lord. You know what we are busy with, Lord. You know the things that we are doing, Father. You know how our relationship with you is, Lord. And still you give grace, Lord. And I pray, Father, that for every heart, Lord, that is lifted up tonight, Lord, that they might know, Father, understand and experience a loving God drawing them closer. You say, Father, that whoever comes to me, I will by no means show them away. I will by no means show them away, Lord. And whoever tries to pray, Lord, and they want to lift up their voice, Father, but they just struggle to find the words, Lord, and they hear that voice that they are not good enough, may they know tonight, Lord, that that is not your voice. Whenever you point out the things in our lives, Lord, that is wrong, Father, you point it out so that you can work with us through it, so that you can come renew and restore. To that we say thank you, Lord. Also pray, Father, that as we're standing here tonight, Lord, you would show us, Father, and remind us of the people that sat with us, Lord, that worshipped with us, Lord, that was with us in small group, Lord, that called on your name, Father. And we know that they have begun to fall in love with the things of this world. May we be that Barnabas, Lord, that goes and calls them, Lord. And I pray, Father, that we might go in grace, Lord, in the spirit of gentleness, but that we will go with the truth. We will not sugarcoat or water down, but we will tell them straight, Lord, what Scripture expects of us. But with that, Lord, and as we show to them that their lives are out of line with the message of the gospel, that with that, the encouragement will come. But there is a loving Father, and His arms are still wide open. Thank you for your goodness, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.